episodes drop the last Monday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. Hey, you're listening to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about diversity. Now I can feel your eyes rolling through the podcast. I'm not sure why people get up in arms over the subject. One of America's biggest claims is that we're a melting pot. It's written on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It doesn't specify a race, age, or sexual orientation. Diversity is a good thing. Now, I'm going to talk about women of a certain age. It might be because I was close with my grandmother, but I like old people. I've learned a lot from my grandparents, my great-uncle, that generation of my family. They have things to say, knowledge to impart. And I think Hollywood needs to embrace the elderly and give them more substantial roles. Sure, it's always fun to have the sassy grandma spewing out one-liners, and I'm not dissing any actors for taking those types of characters. But when you see shows like Grace and Frankie, or the one I'm reviewing today, Murder, She Wrote, these women can hang. And there are plenty of talented, experienced actors in Hollywood who are yearning for significant and important roles. Is it going to reach that 18 to 35 demographic? Probably not, but it serves a larger purpose. Giving a platform to all ages to have their stories told. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fare. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing Murder, She Wrote from 1984. It was co-created by Peter S. Fisher, who wrote episodes of Ellery Queen, Macmillan and Wife, and Columbo, and writing partners Richard Levison and William Link, who co-created Mannix, Columbo, and developed Ellery Queen. The teleplay was written by Peter S. Fisher. It was based on a story he co-wrote with Richard Levison and William Link. It was directed by Corey Allen, who helmed episodes of Quincy M.E., The Paper Chase, Dallas, Star Trek The Next Generation, and won a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Directing in a Drama Series for Hill Street Blues. He started out his career as an actor, with his biggest role as Buzz Gunderson in Rebel Without a Cause. The series stars the incomparable Angela Lansbury. Her debut film was Gaslight in 1944, where she would earn her first Oscar nomination for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Her second would come a year later for the movie The Picture of Dorian Gray. She would appear in a string of films with stars Elizabeth Taylor, Paul Newman, Judy Garland, Catherine Hepburn, and Elvis Presley. She was known for playing more villainous roles at the time, 
In fact, her last Academy Award nomination was for playing a right-winger in The Manchurian Candidate in 1962. She first appeared on Broadway in Anyone Can Whistle in 1964, but her breakthrough was the title character in the musical Mame, where she co-starred with B. Arthur, and they would remain friends for over four decades. For her efforts, she earned her first Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in a Musical. She would end up winning a total of five, including one for one of my favorite musicals, Sweeney Todd. Despite all these varied roles, she's probably best known for her warm, motherly disposition best displayed in the character of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. She continues to work, last appearing in the 2018 movie Mary Poppins Returns, and on Broadway in 2019. Truly a living legend. Now this is what I remember. The theme song. That's probably one of the things that I miss most about the 80s, were those iconic theme songs that went on for a minute and a half. A montage of images on screen. This one reminded me a bit of Masterpiece Theater on PBS. Even though this was a whodunit series, people started to see a pattern that the famous guest star was always the murderer. There was no mystery about it. But in all the years that the show was on, did anyone ever accuse Jessica Fletcher of being the culprit? She was always present where a murder took place. With that track record, I'd stop inviting her to parties. Now I'm heading off to watch the episode. This is what I forgot. Jessica Fletcher is a widow from Cabot Cove, Maine, who spends her spare time writing and volunteering for the local PTA. When she's invited to the rehearsal of a play, Something Terrible, she surprises the director by deducing who the killer is. He's completely stumped because, like most of us creatives, our ideas aren't always as original as we think. But she goes through a detailed analysis of all the clues that led to her conclusion. Then Jessica receives a phone call from her nephew, Grady, who tells her that the last time he was in town, he found her manuscript and read it. He was so impressed with her work that he sent it to a friend who showed it to a publishing company, Coventry House, and they want to distribute it. She is taken aback because she only did it to pass the time and didn't expect anyone to want to read it. She was wrong. Her book becomes a bestseller, reaching number two on the list. The overnight success leads her to do interviews on The Today Show, Phil Donahue, and David Letterman. Jessica gets a quick makeover by her friends in the PTA and travels to New York City to meet with Grady for the press tour junket. After a string of unsuccessful interviews where she felt insulted and patronized, Jessica wants to travel back to Cabot Cove, but is invited to a costume party by Mr. Giles, the head of the publishing company. At the gathering, Grady notices someone snooping around in his room and attacks the intruder. It turns out to be a private eye, Dexter Baxtendale, who had been retained anonymously to conduct an investigation. When Mr. Giles threatens to turn him over to the police, he promises that the local news will learn of the information he's gathered. Mr. Giles has him escorted off the premises without incident. The next morning, Dexter Baxtendale is found shot in the pool. Police Chief Roy Gunderson is brought on the scene, and he asks Jessica Fletcher what she thinks. Murder, she wrote, is a strong pilot. In the first scene, you instantly understand the character of Jessica Fletcher and her attention to detail. In another actor's hands, she might come off as a know-it-all, but Angela Lansbury is so likable and unassuming that you don't get a sense of ego or ulterior motive. I think the writers did a good job balancing that with her down-to-earth demeanor. Because of this, the episode takes a little time to get going, 
there's a montage of her daily routine, all the interviews she does, but the meat and potatoes of the series is the case, which you don't get to until about 25 minutes into the episode. Since the pilot is extended, that's probably a good pace, but that's what I wanted to see. There were two notable guest stars in the episode, Bert Convey, who's an actor and singer, but I know him best as the host of game shows Super Password, Win, Lose, or Draw, and Tattletales. He had a production company with Burt Reynolds known as Burt and Burt Productions. And, of course, Ned Beatty, whose first film credit was the movie Deliverance. He would appear in White Lightning, Nashville, All the President's Men, Silver Streak, Superman, and was nominated for a Best Actor in a Supporting Role Academy Award for Network. Despite the series being about murder, it's non-violent and fairly wholesome. Now, I'm not a prude. I'll watch a canon film from the 80s with Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson with shootouts galore, but you need to have healthy viewing habits, and I like a good show that doesn't always make me cringe. The writing is smart and it's well acted. The score is memorable and really complements the scenes. Overall, an impressive pilot. Some additional information... The cinematography was captured by Mario DeLeo, whose filmography includes episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and The Untouchables. It was edited by Donald Douglas, who worked on The Yogi Bear Show, The Jetsons, Johnny Quest, The McGilla Gorilla Show, and The Flintstones. The score was composed by John Addison, who wrote the music for School of Scoundrels, A Bridge Too Far, Strange Invaders, and won a Best Music, Original Dramatic Score Academy Award for Sleuth. The runtime is 1 hour 34 minutes. For syndication, the pilot was split into two 47-minute shows, which is the standard runtime for the episodes. It aired for 12 seasons, 264 episodes, with an additional four TV movies. It was nominated for 41 Emmy Awards, winning two for Outstanding Costume Design for a Series and Outstanding Music Composition for a Series. Angela Lansbury was nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Dramatic Series for all 12 seasons, but never took home the prize. In Season 3, there was a crossover with the series Magnum P.I. Can't wait to get there. I give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. Really solid. If you've seen Murder, She Wrote and have opinions on the series, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. Moving right along... I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about self-control. No, I've already been preachy enough in this episode. I'm talking about the song by Laura Branigan. She's probably best known for the single Gloria which reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and remained on the charts for 36 weeks, a record at the time for a female artist. The song received a resurgence in popularity during the 2019 NHL season when the St. Louis Blues started playing it after victories. At the time, they were sitting in last place and ended up having a historic run to the postseason, winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. It's not my favorite song, Released in 1982, in the dying days of disco, it had a lot of those dance elements and instrumentation. She sang two songs which would become bigger hits by other artists. The Power of Love was originally co-written and recorded by Jennifer Rush, but was covered by Air Supply and Laura Branigan before becoming a number one hit for Celine Dion. How Am I Supposed to Live Without You was the first hit for songwriters Doug James and Michael Bolton, thanks to Laura Branigan's performance. 
but when he became a solo artist, Michael Bolton released the song as a single, and it would reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and earn him a Grammy Award for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. She's had a string of hit songs, but my favorite is Self Control. It starts off like any other 80s song, with synthesizers and a drum machine. But when the lead guitar comes in with that riff, you think, oh man, this sounds pretty cool. It's a really catchy song, and you have to appreciate someone who lives among the creatures of the night. I actually think it was risky to stop the momentum of the song for the part where they sing, oh, oh, but it all works. The music video is directed by Academy Award winner William Friedkin, known for The French Connection and The Exorcist. Speaking of movies, her songs have appeared on the soundtracks for Ghostbusters and Flashdance. Unfortunately, Laura Branigan died of a brain aneurysm in her home on Long Island in 2004. She was 52. Maybe I should have put that somewhere else. I feel like we're ending on a downer. But the music she contributed remains. I'll post self-control and a couple other hits on the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and review. It was edited by Donald Douglas, who worked on The Yogi Bear Show, The Jetsons, Johnny Quest, The Migli- the Megilla Gor- Jeez, the, Ma- the Megilla Gorilla Show. Wow, that's, that's a tongue twister. Sure, it's always nice to have the sassy grandmother spew. And that would be the phone. If you enjoyed this episode of the Matt Forgot That podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Matt Watch That podcast for all the reviews, rants, and randomness.